Erev Tov, good evening. Tonight's Agarat Ashiu is dedicated to the Refuah Shlema of our dear friend, Dr. Arthur Platt. Chaim Ozer Benah. You should have a Refuah Shlema. Also, to uh, the daughter of Uziel Vadia, who was in a very bad car accident earlier in Virginia. Um, her name is Aliyah Velasquez Bat Uziel Vadia. She should come out of whatever she's in, she should come out completely unharmed and well and healthy. Amen. We are still taking apart this sugya that we started at Piyapshat. So, so far I've done no uh, philosophy, no perushim, no, no kabbalah, nothing, just understanding the sugya the way it needs to be understood. And my estimation is we have about one, one and a half shiurim left. So this shiur for sure. And then the beginning of next week's shiur will have a little bit, and then we're going to jump straight into some deeper understandings already next week of this sugya. So in my notes, I wrote down the answers of some of these questions that we asked. So the first, we mentioned that Rabbi Eliezer says that not only are there three watches, mishmarot, in the nighttime, but that the three watches have unique Uh, qualities, yes, but he mentioned something specific. Unique. Let's read it again. Okay, look in your Gemara. The Gemara says, Very good. Okay, so uh, Zev, in the Gemara that you're looking at, we're actually going to be on page Dalit, so go on page back. Detanya, it's taught. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Rabbi Eliezer says, Shalosh Mishmarot Heve Hanayla. There are three Mishmarot in the night. Valkon Mishmaru Mishmaru Yosheva Kadosh Bukhu Vashoel Kari. And in every one of those watches, a Kadosh Bukhu sits and roars like a lion. Shneema, like it says in Yirmiyahu. Last time we already understood there are two different ways to read this pasuk. The simana davar, and there are signs, unique signs for each one of these watches. The first watch, the donkey brays. The second watch, the dogs howl. The third one, a baby nurses from his mother's breast. And a woman speaks with her husband. What did Rabbi Eliezer? What's his? Uh, when do these signs happen? If he's telling us that these signs happen, the donkey brays, the dogs howl in the beginning of every watch. Why do I need any kind of sign at the beginning of the night? It's obvious to everybody when the night begins. It gets dark. Oh, very good. Remember the answer here? And if it's at the end, why do we need it? It's when the sun rises. So we know when the day starts, when the day becomes light. Rather, what does it say? The mind of coming, I'm skipping a few lines. It's helping a person who needs to read Shema Yisrael and he's laying in his bed in a dark house. And he does not know what time he should say Kiryat Shema. Once he hears a woman speaking with her husband and a baby nursing from his mother, 
then he can get up and read Kiryat Shema. Yes? That was the answer here. This is the section of the Talmud we're going to focus on today. So before I get to the end about the man and the home, or maybe a little bit, why not? How? Right, 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 right. Isha mesaberdim bala. A woman speaks with her husband. I'm debating whether I should read to you the Benish Chai first or start somewhere else with you. We're going to do both today. The question is just which one we should start with. Okay, I don't want to jump around. So let's, let's do what I'm going to tell you and then we'll, we'll go on. The Tzlach. Tzlach asks the following question. Why in the beginning, when it gives you the three signs, the three signs, what does it do? The Gemara says, the third sign is, what is the wording of the Gemara? A baby nurses from his mother and a woman speaks with her husband. Yet at the end of the sugya, when it says about the man who's laying at home, in a dark home, it doesn't say that. What does the Gemara say? What does the Gemara say there? Very good, Marlene. It reverses the order. It first says, Isha Mesaperitimbala. Once he hears a woman speaking to her husband and a baby nursing from his mother, then he gets up and reads from Isla. Why does the Gemara reverse the order? Meaning, in the first place it says, first the baby nurses, then the mother speaks. Then it says here, first the mother speaks, and then the baby nurses. What is the significance behind this? The Tzlach. You want to try and answer? Maybe? Well, because it's probably not going to hear the baby nursing, especially if he is, he's in the middle of the room or he's holding the phone. So then why mention that? That's a good question. Baruch, Baruch had asked a good question. He said he was answering. He was tricking us. The good question is, a baby nursing, how much noise does that even make? What does it help a person who's alone in his house to know these signs? Maybe the baby's in another house. So we have to assume, Baruch, we have to assume that we're talking about a person who does live with other people and there are babies. And what you're asking now is a good question. Let me ask before. The question is, why is the Gemara giving a sign that is so hard to come by? There are single people in the world. There are people who are older and don't have children living home anymore. There are people who don't live next door to neighbors. I mean, there are so many people that this doesn't apply to. That's a very good question. I started that rabbit hole today, but I didn't finish it enough to tell you uh, what what the Mephashim answer, but the question has been asked. Is that you wanted to say? Something? No, there is another assumption of the man speaking with his wife, even if it's not his wife at home, or he's in the house with his family. Right, well here it seems like it's not him speaking with his wife. He hears a man and a woman speaking with each other. They're sharing an apartment, I don't know, you're a guest in somebody's house. They gave you the basement. Now you can't, you know, when they're talking upstairs, there's... Ah, must be time for me to get up and read the uh, Shammai slide. Crying is not the same as nursing. Crying happens the whole night. By the way, by the way, answer, answer something. I said crying happens the whole night. What else happens the whole night? Nobody here had a baby before? But a baby only nurses in the morning? 
the, the baby sleeps the whole night. Oh, now it's time to say Shema Yisrael. Mom, Dad, get up. It's time to... What is that? What happens in the world? No. She does the, the baby nurses. The, and the Benish Chaim, by the way, is going to ask this question. And we're going to look at what he says over there. So just hold, hold off on that question. That's a very good question. But hold off on it. Oh, very, do you remember we answered that last week? We dogs bark the whole night. But we said something special. It wasn't just one dog who barks. One dog barks. When all the dogs are getting together and barking, it's a, it's a unique sign and that something is going on. Yeah, that was, that's very good. That was last week. So let me tell you what the Tzach says. The Tzach says the first part of the Gemara is talking about the way of the world. The way of the world is the baby starts nursing. Because of that, he wakes up his mother. What do you mean the baby nurses and he wakes up his mother? Remember the baby cries and the mother goes to get him, no? Very good. I know in America you get in big trouble if I'm going to say what I say. Because there are babies who die with mothers and babies in the same bed. But in much of the world, a mother and her baby sleep together. And the baby nurses and that's when she wakes up. A famous story, no? Yes? You know what I'm talking about? Someone tell me the story I'm talking about. Whose kid is it? There were two ladies, two babies. One mother, she rolled over her baby, didn't hear it, suffocated the baby, the baby died. Now she claims the other baby's hers. The famous story of Shalom Ahmedah. Do you remember his answer there? What did Shalom Ahmedah say? Very good. Shalom Ahmedah says there's no DNA test. I'm going to have to tell this baby belongs to both of you. So let's cut the baby in half. You can have, she gets half, and everyone's going to be happy. One says, of course, let's do it. The other one says, no, 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 let her have the baby. The one who said, let her have the baby must be the real mother. Because she would never let her baby get harmed. The other lady was willing to have the, lady, uh, the baby get harmed for sure she wasn't the real mother. If I'm not mistaken, it's been a long time. The ladies in the story were not the most dignified of women in history. Am I correct? Right? You understand then that even that kind of lady, what does Arshur call her? An innkeeper. Even that kind of lady, look how much she cares about her children. Your local politician, they would sell out their own kid for some another pay raise or some big contract. That lady of, of ill repute is of higher integrity than many of the people that everyone's busy spending their whole life listening to. Just a word to think of. So the Tznach says the following. The Tznach says, this is the way of the world, is that a baby wakes up his mother. He nurses, she nurses, and then wakes up the mother. Later on though, it's not talking about the order of how things happen in the sense of the baby nurses and then wakes up the mother. Later on, it's talking about a person who's living at home, and he doesn't have a window. He doesn't wake up when someone nurses from his mother in the next room. That doesn't wake him up. When does he wake up? Once the wife is already up and the husband and wife start talking to each other, that's what wakes him up. And that's why it reverses the order. First he wakes up from the man and the woman talking, and then he notices the baby is nursing. That's why it switches the order. In the first part, it was talking about the mother. The mother wakes up from the baby, and then the husband, I guess, wakes up from his wife and the baby, and then they all start talking. But the second part of the Gemara is talking about the other way. The person who's sleeping next door, he doesn't hear the baby. All he hears are the parents talking. 
once he hears them talking, then he notices the baby, and that's why the order of the Gemara is reversed. Yeah, you accept it? Yeah. That seems like a real Peshat answer for me. Until you find the Benishchai. <laughs> Let's look at the Benishchai. I added a third PDF to this week's Zoom invitation. It should say Ben Yehoyada. You should see that Ben Yehoyada. Today, it's in the Zoom invitation of today. It's the last of the three attachments. Yeah. We're going to do this again next week. We start to deal with the deeper side of, of this reading. Right now, I just wanted Pshat. So if you open up the Benish Chai PDF, you want to look for the page that says at the bottom right bit. Bet on the bottom right of the page. You see this? I don't have the PDF in front of me, so I can't tell you what page it's on. Most likely, it's on the second or third to last page. Does someone find it on the PDF? Here, show me. Oh. Oh well, it's it's not here. <laughs> I must have not attached it properly. Okay, let me read it to you, and, and next week I'll add it. You're right; it's not in the PDF. Okay, we're gonna need the last page, but we'll get there. Okay, but let me read to you the part that you're missing. The Ben Chai writes the following: Hikshah Hatzlachzal, the Tzlach of blessed memory, asks the question: It appears to me, regardless of what the story is, how can a person rely on this very weak sign of a mother nursing, a baby nursing, a mother speaking to her husband? Because how many people have in their home nursing mothers and husbands who speak in the morning? And let's say this, even this was all over the world. Why would we have such a weak sign to read Kriyat Shema in the morning 
when it would be much wiser to just say, stick your head out of the window upstairs or go out of the front door. Look outside. You see if there's light. Now you know it's time to read Kirat Shema. I mean, even the one who's living in a dark home is able to pick up his head and walk outside, no? What does he have to rely on some sign of a baby nursing, a mother? What kind of thing is that? So therefore I'm forced to say, says the Ben Yishchai, you're not relying on this in order to say, oh, now it's done, I read Kirat This is really only relevant to someone who is at home in a dark home. This is a lesson in human nature, not a lesson in halakha. A person is laying in his bed. What's the, def- what's, the, what's the attitude of a person who's laying in bed? Shemit atzed. He's lazy. People who are waking up in the morning are normally lazy. Very few people jump out of there. There are some people. I had roommates like that. They, it was very frightening. They wake up and boom, they're up. They're talking. No, the whole world is happening. Not everybody in the world is like that. Some people, they need a little bit of time to wake up slowly. Shemit atzed lakum. He's lazy to get out of bed. Velatzed lakhuz. I once had a roommate who set an alarm clock like an hour before he had to wake up. Because he liked to press the snooze button eight times. I like that you like to press the snooze button eight times, but I like to sleep for another hour. <laughs> okay, life with roommates. Jump out of bed, right? Okay, but my time is a little more difficult, I guess, than that one. But this... This roommate of mine, I remember I wanted to go complain to the rabbi in the yeshiva, Rabbi Yosef Tenner, and Rabbi Tenner, his rule was, you can always complain about your roommates. He will change you out of the room. Uh, but he always used to tell us, if you complain about your roommate, then I change your room. Anybody who calls me when you're dating somebody for shiduchim, I will give you the worst recommendation I possibly can give you. Why would he do that? What crazy thing is that? He said, listen, I'm not asking you to share the same bed, to share the same bank account, to raise children together. To be- I'm just asking you to sleep on the other side of the room from somebody else. If you can't handle sleeping on the other side of the room from somebody else, how in the world do you think you're going to be able to get married? That was his attitude. Okay, you can call it old school, but that's how it was. So I didn't complain, and we suffered with the alarm clock for the rest of the year. He was lazy to get up. He doesn't want to get out of bed to go check if it's morning already. In order so that now he has to get dressed and wash his hands and da 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 and all for to say Maybe it's not done yet. And he's going to wake up for nothing. I'm going to wake up. I got. I put my robe. I put my slippers. I went upstairs. I opened the window. I had still the middle of the night. He's lazy to get out of bed to check if it's time to say kachemah. And a person whose face is glued to the pillow will not lift their head out of the pillow because maybe it's morning. <laughs> Nobody's going to do that. And that's why they gave him this siman, this sign. If you already see the baby's nursing and the mother's talking to the husband, most likely it's already the morning. Maybe not, but it gives you one more reason to take your face off of the pillow and go check if it's really morning already. That way you don't get out of bed for no good reason. And the truth is that he's not going to read Kirat Shema in his bed anyways. He has to first get up, wash his hands, and go outside. And you see the dawn with your own eyes. Meaning this siman is not a siman of when to say Shema. It's when to pick up your face from the pillow to go see if it's time for you to say Shema.
And that's why the Gemara says, Leman de Gane, the one who's, Kromar, Zeasiman, Lonitan Kedelikot Bokia Shema. This is not a siman that is given for you to read Shema. Ela Nitan Bishwala Shochev al Mitato, Shumitatzed Akum Nerot al Safek. That this is given for the person to tell him, now it's okay to lift your face off of your pillow and go check upstairs to see if it's already daytime. Vayen Sever Dikdukei Sofrim. And look at the book Dikdukei Sofrim, Shemevid Girsat Ashas Bichtaviyad who records an older handwritten manuscript version of the Talmud. Remember last time we spoke about censoring of our Talmud? This is a pre-censored Talmud, or without mistakes in it. And this is what it says. Now I want to read this to you, and now you're going to have this in, the, in your PDF. The last page is going to start with the word digane. I'm on that page right now. This is very important. Because it's going to answer the question that I'm trying to answer. But I'm taking you a roundabout way. Because in order to understand the answer, you have to understand that there's a different version of the Talmud. Once I explain to you the different version of the Talmud, we can address why the Benishchai does not agree with the Tznach earlier by the changing of the words in the Talmud. Listen carefully. Nafkamina, Kigon, for example, Degani Bevayit Afel, I'm at the top of page Gimel. A person is the top right column of your last page of your PDF. For a person who's laying in a dark home, the time for Kachma has come. But he does not yet know the time for Kachma has come. Once he sees these signs, that a baby nurses from his mother, and a woman speaks with her husband, he knows. He knows the time of Kriyat Shema has come, and now he should get up. And this version of the Talmud fits very well with my explanation of the Talmud, says Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad. But now, listen to this. Listen, this is the part that was important. Not that Chashma wasn't important, but this is the part that I came to teach you. Vina Atzlach Atzlach asks a question. Rabbi Eliezer Kadim Tinok Leisha. That Rabbi Eliezer earlier mentioned a baby before the, mother, the wife speaking. And later on, the Talmud switches around the order. First it mentions the mother, the wife, and the husband, and then the baby. Yes, that was the question. And what did the Tzach answer? The Tzach said there are two different scenarios. The first one is talking about the way of the world in which the baby wakes up the mother. And then the mother speaks with the husband, correct? But the second scenario is the man who's laying in his room. He, only, he doesn't hear the baby wake up. All he hears are the people talking. And then he notices the baby's nursing, correct? That's what the Tzach told us. Says the Ben Ishchai, why do you have to go down that, that, that explanation? Listen carefully. Go back up. Go back up to the top of the page. Let's read it together. The person is in a dark home. Look at the top line of the PDF. The time for Kachma has arrived. He doesn't know that it's time for Kachma. Once he sees these signs, what are the signs? Read with me. A baby nurses from his mother. A woman speaks with her husband. Is the order reversed here? No, the order is not reversed here. Says the Ben Ishchai, this is the simplest answer to the question. Is whoever was copying your Talmud made a mistake? They made a mistake. It's out of order because whoever was writing it down was writing it down out of order. 
and that the original version of the Talmud doesn't have it out of order. So why do you have to come around and make answers for something that is just a mistake? Do you know how many things in the Torah world are like this? People write entire books on things. It was just a mistake. It was a mistake. I'll give you an example. I'm afraid of the camera to give you an example. I'll give you a good example. Listen to the example. The Torah says you're not allowed to cook meat and milk together, correct? Yes? The Torah says that if you just put meat and milk together but don't cook it, can you eat it according to the Torah? Yes, don't be scared. Yes, according to the Torah, you can have a salami and cheese sandwich. You just can't cook them together. You can't grill a hamburger with cheese on top of it and then eat it. Chachamim added to this that you can't eat them together even if they're not cooked together. That's a rabbinic prohibition. Don't think, oh, rabbinic, let's go to McDonald's, have a cheeseburger. A rabbinic prohibition, that would be a biblical prohibition, by the way. But rabbinic prohibitions, kosher meat and kosher cheese... Rabbi saying Masechet Barachot, page 4b, that anyone who violates the words of a rabbi is liable for the death penalty. So it's, it's going to be a, the, the final supper. That's what it's going to be if you have a cheeseburger. Don't have to worry about the, uh, violating a rabbinic prohibition for too long. Now, there's a teaching in the Talmud about not eating meat and fish together. Why? Because our rabbis say that people who ate meat and fish together they got sick with another sickness, yes? Chamim understand it to be tzarat, or some kind of other disease that a person got when eating this. I know you once told me about mercury and, and things like that. We spoke about this a long time ago. Yeah, but let's put it aside. For whatever reason, that's what happened. People ate meat and fish. It's not because there's some Kabbalah here. Or there's some, just a rabbi saw that people got sick from this and they told us not to do it. So for example, for example, if you see that people are smoking and people who smoke get sick, our rabbis would write a prohibition, it's forbidden for one to smoke. Yes? If there are foods that people consume, you know, there's a, a soda. I think in this country it's illegal to sell it. But in Israel they drink it. In Europe they drink it too. Well, I don't want to get to names. That soda clearly was toxic enough to people that they outlawed it in the country. So now you take, and once somebody asks Arab parents, which barakha you make on Coca-Cola? Arab parents said, you're not allowed to make a barakha on Coca-Cola. Who said you're allowed to drink it? They then asked Arab parents, which barakha you recite on Borekas? Is it Hamotzi? Is it Mizonot? Is it a dough? That's Hamotzi dough, Mizonot dough. Arab parents said, do you know how much of this margarine is inside of Borekas? He said, who said you're allowed to eat borekas? You heard what I told you? Harapiratan, on every borekas that you ate in your life, after 120 years, you have to answer in HaKadosh Baruch why you ate something that could kill you. I'm telling you now as a student of Harapirat, I still didn't reach my levels of, of everything being proper, but when we go to Harapirat, and they make a big kiddush or a big bar mitzvah or something like that, Harapirat always brings along some whole wheat crackers, and a cup of tea. Like that. It's always a yes. Always. Always whole wheat, always a cup of tea. When he came to New York and he, some very wealthy family hosted him in New York for my wedding, I said, What do you want to eat? Like, what Sheikh Shari? He said, Just bring me whole wheat bread and some olive oil and salt, and I'm happy. That's what I need. This is a Shabbat. Like that, Zell. 
It's all the things that everybody's eating is that it's going to kill them one day. How do you recite Vriyachot on things that are going to kill you? It's a Musaga scale for us. We have this concept in our mind that things that are, are kasher automatically mean we can eat them. You know that plastic is kasher? Do you know that? There is no halakha in the whole Shulchan Aruch that forbids a person from a kashrut level for eating the table that you're sitting on right now, or the chair you're sitting on right now. But it's forbidden to eat plastic because that'll kill you. Look what we do to the whole world with the plastic in the world. It kills them. A person has to know that Chachamim, whenever they saw something dangerous, they made a decree against it. So just because the Talmud was sealed, doesn't mean that we don't, now everything that the rabbis didn't tell us is dangerous, we can party all we want. Meat and fish, ironically, listen carefully, meat and fish, having the meat and fish together, I'm not telling you it's the Dech Eretz thing to do. Eretz adamant, you should choose what you want to eat in your meal. Either you're eating fish today, you're eating meat today. Don't eat all these things in one meal, yes? Nonetheless, you haven't met the person who ate meat and fish and got sick all of a sudden because they ate it. And therefore, the Magen Avraham, the Mishnah Burah, Adam, we don't, we're not particular about meat and fish. In my house, we eat meat and fish on the same plate. Only for my guests who are very afraid. They're orthodox. I bring them separate plates. But meat and fish on the same plate. What's going to happen to you? Nothing will happen to you. Already I told you, Magen Avraham wrote about this. Mishnah Burah. Now, if you look in the Bet Yosef, Bet Yosef, It says over there that it's also dangerous for a person to eat. Tell me. Fish and milk. Fish and milk. Very good. Fish and milk is dangerous for a person. Shulchan Aruch, interestingly enough, Maran forgot to mention it. Maran doesn't mention fish and milk together. In the Bet Yosef, he writes it's dangerous, fish and milk. By the time he writes Shulchan Aruch, he only mentions fish and meat. What happened, Maran forgot? Well, you should know, just to be honest. There are a number of halachot that Maran mentions in the Beit Yosef that he doesn't mention in for for reasons beyond the scope of today's shiur. And then you see people jumping back and forth. Is it milk and fish? Is it butter and fish? Cheese and fish? Is it is it dairy entirely? Or is it only milk? Is it the gizera? What does it do? Everyone jumps around. And that, you know, what's the problem? The problem is that really this Bet Yosef becomes a major dilemma for Jews who eat bagels and cream cheese and lox. You know, my wife is the epitome of an Ashkenazi Jew. I mean, if you were going to be a poster child, my wife's whole community doesn't eat bagels and cream cheese and lox. It's forbidden for them. It's like asking them if they want to have shrimp for breakfast. They don't mix fish and dairy ever. Why? Because Maran writes in Bethesda, it's become a thing. Ashkenazim are allowed to have fish and dairy. But Sephardim, they're not allowed to. Why? Because Sephardim drop dead when they have it, Ashkenazim don't. Yes? So if you go to the Kiddush, you want to figure out who is Sephardim or Ashkenazim, hand out bagels and cream cheese and locks, and the ones who die, they're the Sephardim, and the ones who live, they're the Ashkenazim. That makes sense to you? And why did Maran forget about it? Already the Ramah writes in, in his commentary there in the Bet Yosef, it's a mistake. Somebody was copying over the Bet Yosef and they added in here fish and milk. It's Maran didn't write these words. There's a reason why it's not mentioned Shulchan Aruch. You know why it's not Shulchan Aruch? Because Maran didn't write it. And so now there's a mistake in the Bet Yosef and you've created an entire new halakha. You can't have meat and dairy, uh, fish, you can't have fish and dairy together. 
And Sephardim are not allowed to, Ashkenazim are allowed to. It's a machloket about butter, it's a machloket about cream cheese, it's a machloket about... All from a mistake. From a mistake. I'm telling you something that you're familiar with. Isn't that you're, fam- you're not familiar? These are the same problems? So because of a mistake, the whole world is going to go crazy. How could it be that in the Gemara, you want to hear? In the Gemara, over and over and over, there are stories about rabbis who are eating fish, bekutach. You know what is kutach? No, so it's not. That would be very good, actually. There are some like that. But kutach. Abba, are you here on the call? Yogurt, let's say like yogurt, uh, kefir, leban, something in this. Uh, they would, it was like uh, you eat your fish with some kind of, uh, there's a, um, they have the tzatziki sauce, or whatever, something with the dairy base. How could it be that the Amoraim and the Talmud are eating fish with dairy? All of a sudden, Bet Yosef, oh, you can't have it, it's dangerous. And now nobody can. How could it be? You have to stop and say, we have to. Read. If we're making, so Benish Chai says, why are you making a whole people, a whole answer about a mistake in the first place? The answer is very simple. The Tznach clearly did not have access to the version of the Talmud that Benish Chai had access to. That's all. But it makes you wonder so much when you see contradictions in Jewish texts. Before you try to answer the question, try to check first if it's really a question in the first place. When you see the Rambam contradict himself in place one and place two, stop looking at the mistake-riddled Vilna edition, then go open up Harav Kapach's edition and check. Most likely the Rambam said the same thing in both places and there was a mistake and whoever was printing the Vilna edition of the Rambam, that's all. So many questions are answered that way. That's what we're doing. Let's continue the Benish Chai. The Benish Chai says, So based on this Talmud, the Talmud didn't rearrange the order at all. And now, here we go. Marlene, question number... Question number nine. Why does the text mention a wife speaking to her husband and not a husband speaking to his wife? That was a good question, no? <laughs> so here now the Ben Yishchai is coming to tell you the answer I want to just tell you before I read what the Ben Yishchai says. All of you who know me, you know me well enough to know what I feel about all kinds of things. And those who don't know me well, you shouldn't be listening to this show in the first place. I'm reading to you what's written. If you want to discuss why it's written, what it's written, I'm happy to have the conversation. I don't mean to offend anybody here. Anybody here. There's a reason my Ben Midrash has been open to men and women across the board. But I cannot ignore or hide from you there are texts that are not always so flattering. Uh, and in this case, especially not towards women. So let's read it. Don't jump on me. I'm, ju- I'm reading here and translating for you. Okay? If you want to discuss why and what, I'm here afterwards. Says the Ben Ishchai. So the Tzlach asks, why does it say a woman speaking with a husband and not a husband speaking with a woman? It's a simple answer, he says. Dinashim debraniyot. That women speak a lot. That's why. Men don't speak so much. Women speak a lot. And because of that, it says a woman speaks to her husband. That's just the way of the world. By the way, where does he get this idea from? The Benish Chai is not making it up. Where does it come from? I want you to look for a second. If you have a Talmud with you, you have, 
But what page does that go up to? That's on the. Yeah, let's look here in the Talmud. Talmud, if you have a berachot in front of you that goes up until page 48b. I'll read it to you. The Gemara mentions a pasuk from Shemuel. So if you look in Shemuel 1, chapter 9, verse 13. This pasuk, this pasuk is talking about Shaul HaMelech. Shaul HaMelech is on his way to look for someone. Anyone familiar with Shemuel a little bit? In those days, they used to call prophets seers. You remember this? Who's he looking for? Yeah, yeah, very good. Very good. Exactly right. Shaul is on his way. Thank you, Pam. Shaul is on his way to look for Shemuel. And he comes to the well and he sees these maidservants there and he asks them if the man who's the seer, the, the Navi, if he's around here somewhere. And they tell them, When you come to the city, you will find him. Before he goes up to the high place to eat. Because the people will not eat until the Prophet comes. Because he first will bless the, the Zevach, the sacrifice. And only after that, all those who are invited will come and eat. So the Gemara asks, why did they go on to speak so much to Shaul? They should have just said, yeah, is the prophet here? Yes, he's there. Or, yes. Or, yeah, he's right there, going to the city. Why did they start telling the whole story? Yeah, when he comes, they, they, he comes out, he goes up to the high place, the people that are invited, they don't eat until he eats, and until he blesses the food. Why are they talking so much? Says the Gemara, Because women are... Rabbi Steinzeltz translated it as chatterers. Dabaniot. In Hebrew, they speak a lot. But Shemuel has a different answer. What's Shemuel's answer? They were talking a lot because Shaul was a very handsome man. And they were looking at him a lot. So the more they talked to him, the more they could look at him. You know, when, when they taught us Gemara in, in high school, you should see the rabbis, when they got to these kind of Gemara, they ran like 100 miles an hour just to skip every, every conversation that would be too awkward for them. Rabbi Yochanan says a third answer. Because no ruler invades the other ruler's time to reign, even for a second. What's happening? Shaul is looking for Shemuel. Why? What's happening here? He's the king. He anoint him to be the king. Shaul is coming to Shemuel to anoint him to be the king. Who was leading the Jewish people before Shaul? Shaul. 
Shemuel. Shemuel. Shemuel is in the Jewish people. So essentially, when Shaul meets Shemuel, it's going to be the end of the rule of Shemuel and the beginning of the rule of Shaul. Says the Gemara that there was an exact moment in time that it had to happen where Shemuel stops leading and Shaul starts leading. And these ladies were talking because the Kadosh Bahu was using them to delay it even for a moment. They needed a few more minutes of Shemuel's rule in the world. It's a deep concept to think about it. But if you really believe in the Creator, you'll never... You know, my wife always tells me, that person did not take your parking spot. If it was your parking spot, your car would be inside of it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu already decided that that's not your parking spot. Stop thinking it's yours. If you really believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you believe that that guy didn't take your parnasah. He cannot take your parnasah if HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you a parnasah. He can't do it. If you believe in Hashem, if you don't believe in Hashem, then everything is yours. If you believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's not that this president won, this one lost. HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided now this one is here, and now this one, I don't know why, I don't, I don't work, I, I, I work for the Creator, I don't necessarily understand anything He does. I mean, a person has to believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that there are reasons things happen when HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants them to happen, that's all. I want to tell you a story, can I tell you, it's okay if I share with you a personal story. When I got engaged, so those of you who know us, well, my wife and I, we met in 2012. May of 2012. We only got married in August of 2013. So well over a year. And both my wife and I were not the type of people to date forever and ever and ever. And for us, that was a forever and ever and ever. If I can explain to you, on date three, my wife already proposed to me. You heard what I told you? She told me if, she, if she's going to wait till the end, then I'm not going to propose to her, so she's going to propose to me. So that's how it worked out that way. But we already decided on day three to marry each other. So what took us? Three was like three weeks after we met each other. Crazy people, don't worry, it's okay. If I would have gotten married then, clearly it wouldn't have been a mistake. We're still here. So what happened until August? Okay, you know, there were problems. Problems in not us. The world around us had a very hard time stomaching how two people who seemingly should never meet each other could possibly get married with each other. Yes. And it was hard. It was a very difficult. Yeah, there were times where you know, I was a rabbi of a community. I was a lady that I'm dating. It was complicated. It was complicated. Came time for us to get engaged. And we got engaged. I'll tell you where. I got engaged in the office of the Kalva Rebbe. Should live in Biwa. That's where we got engaged. It was Erev Shabbat. It was the summer in New York. It was hot outside and it was raining. The most disgusting combination you could imagine in the world. Not cold and raining, hot and raining. And we come pouring rain to come to his house and his wife had made cookies and cakes and the silver plates and all this. Like a rebbe, you know, like Malchuta, like a kingdom over there. We got engaged there. And the Kala Rebbe spoke. And he told us, he said, you know, the Gemara says that there's no kituba, there's no marriage without fighting. All marriage has controversy attached to it. Families, two worlds fusing, it's, it's, it's a problem. Always going to be a problem. If it's not about the couple, then it's about the finance. The finance is the wedding, and not the wedding is the music. Whatever it's going to be, there's fighting that happens around the ketubah. He said, why? That sometimes there are two things that need to happen, but they need to happen at the right time. They, for whatever reason, HaKadosh Baruch decided this soul and this soul have to get married, but they only get married at the right time. And if they meet each other too early, then there's a lot of fighting. 
because the Kadosh Baruch Hu is doing everything he can to keep them apart until the time is to get them together. He told us a story, if I'm not mistaken, I spoke about seers. There was a Hasidic rabbi called the Jose of Lublin. The seer of Lublin. He, they treated him almost like a prophet by the Hasidic. Jose of Lublin, he was once praying. Arvit was praying. And he normally would pray a long time, Arvit, but here it got excessively long. 30 minutes, 45 minutes, he still didn't finish the Amidah. An hour, an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half, he took three steps back, finished Arvit, and went home. Hasidim were a little bit surprised. Like, it happens. He's a red guy, plays, whatever. But why so long? What happened tonight? He said, let me tell you. When I was praying, in my home, there was a bride and a groom that were waiting for my blessing to get engaged. So as I was praying my Amidah, I saw in the heavenly realm that it wasn't yet the time for them to get engaged. Whatever time, needed another hour and a half for it to happen. So I prayed and I prayed and I prayed to delay their engagement until HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to happen. Do I understand anyone telling you? No. But this is what the Kalavar Rebbe told me uh, when I was with him. And this is what the Gemara is giving a few reasons. But one of the words of the Talmud here is the reason they spoke so much, either because the kingdoms shouldn't, shouldn't clash, or because he was very handsome to look at and they wanted to look at him, or or because women speak a lot, and that's why they were talking so much. Now, I, I'm, listen, I'm telling you three answers here. Not all these answers have to be right. These are agadot, like I told you in the past, agadot, you do with agadot what you want to do with them. But this text exists. The Benishchai is referencing this text in order to tell you exactly why the Talmud, in his opinion, says the wife is talking with the husband, because that's the way of the world, is the wife is talking to the husband. Now, is that always the case? No. Do all women talk a lot? No, of course not. Are there men who don't? Of course. This is a, is a, any, like any type of, of uh, generalization that you make. It's going to be false. That's, there's no question here. But here he's answering in the way of the Talmud. Now, let's continue. Most of the time, a husband and wife are going to be speaking to each other about things that are related to their home, to their life. Because they're always talking about the home, and the one who takes care of the home mostly, in many situations, again, it's a generalization, is the wife. She's taking care of the home, and so she's talking to her husband, but that's why she's the one who's being proactive in this conversation. This is her conversation. The day starts, what's the schedule? What are we doing? Where are the kids? What are the, what's happening? for All of this, that's exactly what's happening. The old... More than that, and this I found very special. Listen carefully. The reason why she speaks excessively, she has to. Why? She speaks to her husband a lot about the praise of her sons and her daughters that are living with her at home. Why? In order to endear them to their father. She is marketing her children to him. Why? Lefatoto. To seduce him. And to appease him that he should not be stingy when taking care of them. 
he should spend on them. He should take care of these children. They're, they're good children. They're they amazing, my son. They're amazing, my daughter. Isn't how beautiful they are? How wonderful they are? It's her job to make sure that he loves his children enough to make sure that he takes care of them properly. This is a dynamic here between a husband and a wife. Are all people the same? No. I'm going to say, did it always? No, it's not always the case. But this is the reality that Ben Ishchai is dealing with, and he's telling us that that's what he reads here in the Talmud. And that's the reason, the answer to the question about why it says a woman speaks to her husband. That's the way of the world. Now, a simpler answer, if I had to say, a simpler answer, the baby when he nurses, who does he wake up? I'm allowed to say an answer, no? Who does the baby wake up when he nurses? A mother. And then who does she talk to? The baby? To her husband. The, the husband wakes up from the baby nursing? No. She wakes him up. And so this is just the normal, what, a woman speaking to her husband, it's all connected with each other. The baby wakes up, it's a chad gadiyah. You know, the, the baby wakes up the mother, the mother wakes up the father, the father wakes up the guy next door, and then everyone says Shema together. That's exactly how it happens. I mean, that's a very simple way to read the Gemara here without getting stuck on anything else. I see what time it is. Let me just see what else I have in my notes today. I wanted to cover some. Let me tell you two more things today so that we can wrap it up. Did you let me? Two more things. Okay. My, my other questions that I had. One of the questions was number 10. What is the significance of these three signs, of three watches, three times during the night? What else is the text trying to tell us? Meaning, what else is the text referring to? What else happens three times during the night? Did anybody find an answer to this? No? Okay, so let me tell you what I found. The Rosh. The Rosh who is an Ashkenazi rabbi in, in, the Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher, is an Ashkenazi rabbi in, Spain. Spain, very good. So he's an Ashkenazi rabbi in a Sephardic pulpit. He quotes in the name of Rabbi Yudan Barzilai. Rabbi Yudan Barzilai wrote the book, Sefer Ha'itim. Rabbi Yudan Barzilai, we don't know so much about him. But he lived in that time in Spain. He was a Catalonian Talmudist. That's important. If you're familiar with the different camps of Jews that were in Spain at the time, there was northern Spain and southern Spain, Catalonia, uh, Andalusia. These are two, two different camps, both Spanish, but not all the same. He says, what's the, what's the story here? Why do I need three signs in the middle of the night? Middle of the night, maybe you tell me, Chatzot. you have to say, Tikkun Chatzot, fine, okay. What does it help me though, the beginning of the night, the first end of the first watch, the beginning of the third watch, what are those times? What are they helping me for? There must be something else that happens in halakha that these signs are useful for. But what, is it, what does it do for me? I mean, why do I need signs at night? I need signs for when to say Kirachama in the morning. I agree, but why do I need all the rest of them? Which part of the night you're up to? So much so that it's worth it. Kadosh Baruch having a clock set up for us. I want to look with me in Masechet Yoma. If you could pull that up on Safari, fine. If not, I'm going to read it to you. Masechet Yoma. Please don't say Yuma. Where is Yuma? Yuma is in Arizona. 
Yoma is the name of the Talmud. Okay? Let's, let's not get uh, confused here. Masechet Yoma. Fine. I, Marlena, I'll accept it. Let me ask you this: Wouldn't one sign be enough to drive home that message? Why three? Um, I don't know. It just seems like more. Okay. So why not four? I agree, Marlena. I agree with you. But then why not five, six? Why three? What's three? There must be something about three. Is the time when when you can connect like more effective to Hashem because he's also he's also crying in those times. It's a By the way, there is. Magen Avraham says something like what you said. It was One second, we'll get to that. Right, so I'm agreeing that we need the last one. Let's look together in Yuma. Yuma in the Mishnah, in page 20a. So if you find in Safariya, Yuma 20a. Bechol yom, in every day, Tormin they bring their offerings to the altar and the Mizbech. This is called the Tirumat Adeshen. 20, 20A. So it's 20A. And every day they offer their offering on the Mizbech, the Terumat Adeshen, when the Gever calls. What is a Gever in Hebrew? It can mean two things. A rooster. Here it means a rooster. It could also mean a man, but it's not the right context. Uh, the rooster. When the rooster crows, that's when they come and bring their offering in the Mizbech. Or a little before, a little after. So give or take, around when the rooster is crowing, that's when, that's when they offer their offering in the, in the Ben And on Yom Kippurim, the time changes. They don't bring it in the morning. Rather, when do they bring it? Michatzot. They bring it at midnight. So instead of bringing the offering in the morning, on Yom Kippurim, they bring the offering on midnight. And on the regalim, on the festivals, they offer their offering in the temple from the first watch. And it never happened that the rooster would crow, is that a word? Rooster would crow? And the Bede Mikdash was not already full of Jews waiting to offer their offering in the Bede Mikdash. So many people want it. Listen to this Mishnah here. This Mishnah is telling you, anyone who knows the laws of Tehumat Hadeshen knows that these three watches are significant. Because on different nights of the year, the offering in the temple need to be offered at different times. And that's why you need heavenly signs for those times in the year. This is a Peshat answer. I'm not going here now, what does it mean a rooster? What does it mean a donkey? What is it? Right now, I'm the, the answer. The answer is the significance of three watches because there are halachot that are connected to these three watches. And that's why we have those signs. Yes? Now, there's another answer I saw. Magin Abraham. Sorry, Rashba. The Rashba, he wants to know, remember one of the opinions said that the watch, the sign happens at the end of the first watch. 
at the beginning of the last watch and the middle of the middle watch. Remember that one? The middle of the middle watch. So what's so special about the middle of the middle watch? Says the That's the end of the time that you can eat the, the Kodashim, the holy food that's in the Ben Mikdash is the last time that you can eat it is at midnight. Like you have many halakhot that are connected to midnight. Like what else? The Koban Pesach we mentioned, maybe later in Halakha, it's not every Halakha, but if you come on, you have uh, things that are connected to midnight. Magen Avraham, the Magen Avraham in the first Siman in Shulchan Aruch, in Sab Halakha Dalet, the Magen Avraham writes that there's something about midnight, the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a special sign for the middle of the night, it tells you that the middle of the night is an etratzon. It's a time, it's an auspicious time to pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And you should know that there are many Jews around the world who wake up every night to pray, or they wait, till, depending on who they are, to say tikkun chatzot, to pray in the middle of the night. I'm going to leave you off with a question that I'm going to answer next week. I asked you one question here. And the question was, according to Rabbi Eliezer, when can you start to say the Shema during the third watch? Remember that? I asked you this question. Did anybody have a chance to look up the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer? What his opinion is? When are you allowed to say Shema? Was it until dawn? That's a very good. Really, that, but you're, uh, you're talking about by the Rabban Gamliel. Not, I should clarify. Not until when you can say the evening Shema. But what is the earliest time you could say Shema in the morning according to Rabbi Eliezer? Oh, so let's look. Let's look together. I'm going to read you the question, and you're going to get stuck with giving me an answer for next week. I want an answer. And the answer is found on the... Tell me. Yeah, let's read exactly his words. Let's read his words. If you look in Masechet Berachot, both you have this in front of you. If you go to page 9b. If you want to find yourself on page 9b. In the middle of the page, page 9b of Berachot, the Mishnah says, Me'matai korin et shema, from when do read shema? Be'shacharit. So this is the second half of our Mishnah. We're dealing with when can you read Shema at night. The Mishnah here is talking about when can you read Shema in the daytime. Says the Gemara, the Mishnah, Mishayakir, from when you could recognize the difference, Ben Techelet Lelavan, between Techelet, the blue string on your tzitzit, please, by the time you listen, have on one pair of your tzitzit at least a blue string. Ben Techelet Lelavan, between Techelet and white. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Rabbi Eliezer says, Ben Techelet Lecharti, Lecharti. Between Techelet and Karti. What is Karti? Green. Green. I don't want to get stuck on exactly. You can go outside. Do this now. Go outside where there's no light. And take your blue string of your tzitzit. It's that tchelet. And put it up next to the grass and tell me if you can tell the difference between the two of them in color. In the morning, it's also difficult. Until when? Until the time that our rabbis call Mishiachia, when you could tell the difference. By the way, on Shavuot morning, Shavuot morning, when we stay up together here, and I see wrapping talit and whatever else, you, those of you who watch me, you know that 
that we always, I announce later than what the calendar says. I go outside in my front yard and I wait. When can I tell the difference in my tchelet and my uh, grass? And that's when you put on your talit. And there's a time in the morning where there's enough light that you can differentiate between these two colors. Let me ask you this question. According to the Gemara, when does the sign happen that a baby nurses from his mother and a woman speaks with her husband? Which part of the evening does that happen? Which part of the night? At the beginning of the third watch. Let's say the night starts at 6 and the day starts at 6. So it's a 12-hour night from 6 to 6. And we split that up into three parts. What time, what time is it when the baby nurses from his mother and the husband and wife start talking? Let's say I'm exhibiting an exaggerated night. Tell me what time that is. Around 2 in the morning? Around 2 in the morning? At 2 in the morning, the person who's in a dark home, and he hears the baby nursing, the woman and the, hus- wife, and the husband talking, at that time, is he allowed to read Shema according to Rabbi Eliezer? No. By the way, if you want to look further, Rabbi Eliezer says you must finish reciting the morning Shema before the sun rises. I need to understand this halakha here. At nighttime, Rabbi Eliezer gives you a beginning time and an end time. He's very particular that there's an end time to Shema at nighttime. He's just as particular in the morning. You have from dawn until sunrise to say Shema. After sunrise, you can no longer say Shema in the morning. I'm talking in the morning Shema. He has a cap on the nighttime Shema and a cap on the morning Shema. Rabbi Eliezer says, oh, the sun rose? You're too late for Shema. You're done. It's too late. You might now begin to understand why so many of our Chachamim were particular. Not just to pray nets sunrise. They started their Amidah at sunrise. So Shema Yisrael could have been said before the sun rose. That you have until later in the day. Don't, get, don't panic. Tomorrow you can still say Shema. When you pray in the morning at 7.30, 8 o'clock, whatever. I'm just talking about here. Bilyata has an end time. Yes. You know what we should unpack before we unpack his opinion? Is why is Rabbi why are his halachic opinions so tight? They're very, they're very, um, there's a beginning and an end to everything. everything. It's very, it's an interesting thing. We have to look into what, why, how is that? Rabban Gamliel says you have until the morning. Chachamim make a middle, why? There must be something else going on here. And it's beyond today's show, but it's something we should look into. I do want to leave you off with this question. This whole sugya that we've been studying talks about a person who's at home, in a dark home, and they're saying Shema. They, they see the baby nursing, and they see the, 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 they hear the baby nursing, they, they hear the husband and wife talking. He should get up and say Shema. Get up and say Shema. At this time of the night, according to Rabbi Eliezer, you're not allowed to say the Shema yet. So I'm asking you for next week, if you can, to please reconcile this teaching about Rabbi Eliezer's third watch and a person in a dark home who should get up and say Shema, how could it be that they're getting up to say Shema if you're not allowed to say Shema yet, especially according to Rabbi Eliezer? That's my question for next week. I hope to get an answer for that. And Bezalat Hashem, I will finish answering the rest of these questions next week, and we'll start peeling back the next layer of the onion together next Thursday night. Thank you guys so much.